What is up, people? Welcome back to yet another episode of Kickoff Sessions. Thank you for joining me on what's going to be one of the best sessions for sure. I say that every week, but I really do mean it every single week. Eric Sim joins me on episode 106, and this is an absolutely fantastic session. We met up in Singapore, recorded in the studio, a fantastic episode that's all around building a diversified career. Eric is a very well-respected man in the whole area of investment banking, finance, technology, financial engineering, amongst many other different areas. And I'll give you a little background around Eric. With over 2 million followers on LinkedIn, I think closer to 2.8 million at this stage, Eric is one of the most followed career coaches and speakers on social media globally. Previously, he was based in Hong Kong, where Eric served as a managing director at UBS Investment Banking and an associate professor at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Eric is the founder of the Institute of Life. In recent years, he has spoken on career and life skills in the UK, China, Bahrain, India, and Singapore. Eric's story is absolutely fascinating and it dates back to working in some of the local restaurants here in Singapore many, many years ago where he supported his father. He has a fantastic story. He's an unbelievable career path where he worked with some of the best investment banks. This is an absolute fascinating podcast where we get into all the details on building a diversified career. We go from the very beginning about how do you develop your career? What are some of the actionable items you should be looking out for? How do you take this into practice? How do we look at shifting your mindset, getting the working against adversity, working against different scenarios to really get the best possible opportunities for you. Eric focuses on many different pillars across money, happiness, maturity, different elements that are so beyond what we originally think about. This is why he's got to such great success in his own career and I've no doubt you're going to absolutely enjoy it. We get into a lot of details too about building a personal brand, building a side hustle, how to monetize a side hustle and how to build a career that isn't just one single focus. It's about how to do multiple different things, how to do them really well and how to do them better than pretty much anyone else that's the whole focus here so if you enjoyed this session i would really really appreciate if you rate us five stars down below it makes a huge difference and we can really push the show forward together so i'll leave it right here here's my conversation with eric sim all about how to build a diversified career all right Eric, let's kick off. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Kickoff Sessions. One of the best guests I could possibly find, I think, in uh, in Singapore. The most experienced. You've been through everything, man, and I'm excited to get into it today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here in this studio. Yeah, it's a nice little setup. And uh, I want to do something right, you know, because when I meet you, you know, I want to go through it properly, set it up and just go through everything, you know, and uh, and have something nice. Yeah, excited, man. I, I think you make your guests feel uh, welcome mm-hmm. and also uh, respected. Well, that's the plan. That's the plan. So, man, I want to get into, of course, your career. We're going to talk about your book. We're going to talk about everything. But one thing that I love about you the most is that you bring things back to kind of a lot of your childhood and how you were you know, brought up and, you know, even their experiences when Singapore became Singapore, you know. So maybe can you talk me through kind of some of the earlier years when you're growing up through school, kind of how that kind of was like? Yeah, uh, my father sold prawn noodle <laughs> in Hawker Centre in Singapore. You must have tried mm-hmm. uh, many good food down here. So I was helping him uh, since elementary school in Singapore. We call it primary school. Same in Ireland. So, you know, primary six all the way to uh, university. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was studying engineering in NUS, mm-hmm. I was also helping him uh, during school holiday and also during... Uh, Weekends. Mm. So I was serving the customers. I was cooking, washing the dishes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is how I spent bulk of my, my childhood other than going to school. Crazy. Did you, um, did you take a lot from your father in particular? Like was he a bit of an inspiration to you? Um, not during the time because, you know, I hate waking up like 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> have to be at the store by 7.30. Yeah. Uh, cutting chili and then without knowingly rubbing your eyes <laughs> yeah. and prawns um, normally when we peel prawns when they are cold you, yeah. so there is a very strong fishy fishy smell and then it's very difficult to get get it away so whole whole day right mm-hmm. my I'll be smelling of prawns and all this uh, seafood smell and so I didn't think much of of him uh, until much later in life, mm-hmm. yeah, when, when I was m- maybe, you know, working like halfway through banking and he passed away five years ago 
and now I recall the why am I doing what I'm doing, and a lot of time I can trace back to the lesson I learned from him at the store. Hmm. Was tough ten years helping him, uh, because kids are enjoying Christmas Eve, hmm. New Year's Eve. I can't because the next day I need to be down at the store, so mm, I I cannot come home like you know past midnight. Otherwise, I I won't have the energy to help him. Yeah, and I suppose you learn so much about how to apply like principles of your life and even finding your why and discovering you know discovering what you wanted to do because you were working so hard on those particular areas. I suppose your engineering was in check. You were very focused and diligent. Yeah, and my father rests uh, one day a year. <laughs> First day of Chinese New <laughs> It's Year. It's the Asian Asian mentality. Yeah, second day of Chinese <laughs> New Year. We are down at the store. I was down at the store. Mm. Most shops are closed, so it's super crowded by eight a.m. Mm. The whole place, and we, in order to kind of satisfy the crowd. Mm-hmm. We try to reduce the choices. So in Singapore, uh, at the noodle store, we have we serve three types of noodles. You have the yellow noodle, mm-hmm. you have the vermicelli, the white rice noodle, and you got the flat white uh, rice noodle. So you can have one of those three, or you can mix two of those three, and you can even order three in one bowl. <laughs> and then we have three sizes. So seven combination of noodles plus three sizes, twenty one combination. Mm. Second day of Chinese New Year by eight a.m. We only serve yellow noodle and vermicelli, large. Take it or leave it. <laughs> and again, you're you're not trading your time for money because you're just going to be focused on those bigger deals. Yeah. So this is how you can clear the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I took that lesson when I was a bartender. Mm. So I was a bartender in uh, one of the big nightclub down here uh, along Orchard Road. So it was a school holiday job. I went there and said, can I be a bartender? He said, yeah, memorize this recipe. So I went there on a Monday, it was okay. So I learned how to mix a few drinks like the Singapore Sling, Black Russian and um, wine, beer, what glass to use, what garnish, mm-hmm. you know, some use, you have to use lemon, some you have to use lime. Come Wednesday night, it's ladies night. Ladies come in for free. And it <laughs> attracts the guys. <laughs> <laughs> and the guys are probably paying like $30 again yeah, or more. Yeah, yeah, more, yeah. Yeah. more and uh, during my time, it's like 20 Singapore dollars, you get like two drinks coupon in blue. And the girls so, going for free. Yeah. Of course. And, and there was a band playing. So, this band was playing um, like rock music, Guns from Guns and Roses. When they took a break, the customers all flocked to my island bar, mm. and I was very slow. So by the time the the band came back, half the customers left without a drink. Mm. So I went home. I memorized the recipe, what glass, the concoction. Thursday I came, still slow, Friday. Saturday, when the band took a break, the customers come all pushing this coupon right in front of me. Beer, wine, grasshopper and rainbow. Rainbow is a cocktail with seven layers of alcohol and syrup. You cannot mix. You have to do it properly. You can't mix them. Otherwise, the layers get jumbled up. I stop. I look at them. I say, I'm going to make bourbon coke now <laughs> who wants bourbon coke <laughs> half the people including that guy who ordered the rainbow changed to bourbon coke so I took out a dozen <laughs> of glass put ice put bourbon and use the soda gun <laughs> there's a button C on it there's coke spray on it and clear the crowd then I say who wants gin tonic done that's the next popular drink so I told this story to the DBS bank hiring manager, what I did during school holiday. She gave me a job. That's how I started my banking career. 
why do you think that was? Was it because you removed the complexity out of a process? Like you looked at something and said, you know, this isn't the most efficient way to do it or it isn't the most cost effective or revenue generating? Uh, number one is I need to clear the crowd, mm. right? That's my job as a bartender. And I don't want my customers to be disappointed. But what do they want? I think most important is get a drink within two minutes and go back to your girlfriend and then you can go back to the band. Mm. Not really wanting that rainbow or that Singapore sling. That is second in priority. But there is no such drink on the manual. Mm. In the manual, there is nothing to say drink to be served within two minutes. There's no such drink. So, uh, number one is understanding the customers and also I'm in a position to do that mm -hmm. because they know if they don't order the bourbon coke, they could be waiting for, for another 15 minutes. And that's the thing is that a lot of people don't know what they want until it's kind of ha it's shown in front of them. So you provided that um, opportunity and now they had this selection of what to do, you know? A lot of people do not know what they want and also um, sometimes it's not necessarily uh, having more choices uh, makes uh, people happy, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we give you more choices, you, you got a headache. And if you look at Apple, they're selling f iPhone, right? Yeah. iPhone Max for 2,000 Singapore dollars, you know, 1,000 plus um, US. Mm -hmm. They give you only four choices of color. Mm -hmm. They could have given you 10 colors for that price. But it means for them, inventory is going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. 10 colors, you got a max, you got a pro and you know, you got different storage space and for the customers going into the shop, you're trying 10 colors, mm -hmm. you don't know what to choose. So sometimes uh, reducing the choice helps the customer. I see that as well in... Um a career choice perspective for young people because I think we're very fortunate position we're in you know when you did engineering which was great I did uh, information systems um, kind of like a variation of, of business and tech people have a lot of opportunity and then they kind of get a bit more overwhelmed with the different choices that they can make you can go into this career you can go into fintech you can go into startups you can go into traditional banking retail banking investment banking risk compliance there's a whole array mm. so when you see it on the product side and you see it on the career side, we, we find a situation where a lot of people are feeling like overwhelmed. Mm. But it's when you simplify it and get into that kind of, uh, the, the value position where people get the most value from. Yeah. Um, I think you can always try different, uh, different thing and then try to, try to link them up. Mm. Yeah. Um, the, the key is uh, connecting, connecting the different experience that you have. Yeah. So sometimes it's not whether you've gone into the right job, right company or not, but it's how to take that experience and bring it together. For example, um, me helping my father, 10 years, you know, not much of a life outside school for me. That experience was very hard during that time. But now it allows me to come up with my principle of living and so allows me to, to write a book because mm -hmm. what I'm doing now has a story to it. Of course. I mean, course. if I grew up in a privileged family, my parents sent me to Ivy Lake or Oxbridge mm -hmm. and I get into investment banking, there's not much of a story because you expected yeah. Me to, to do that, right? Of course. Yeah. So in life, it's, it's like that. Yeah. And that's why it was so interesting because I asked you about, you know, what did you learn from your father at a young age? Because when we're in the trenches, we don't necessarily reflect that much. Mm. But from you, you know, taking that experience with the bartender job, going to DBS, and then what you talk about now next, about going to uh, the UK to do your master's. Like for a lot of people, especially if you came from a privileged background, you just, you stick with the natural progression. And of course, you're going to end up in Goldman Sachs, aren't you? Yeah. You're going to be on the trading desk. Yes. You're going to be out at the weekend and you're not going to earn, the, you're not going to value the money. Because, mm. you know, I can't imagine that, you know, where you are now positioned, you've really worked hard for it. And through all the adversity with the bartender job, with leaving DBS, we're going to do um, your master's. 
that adds to it, you know, and adds to your value. And I think that's why we see a lot of the hungriest people are people like yourself. Yeah. So regardless of your background, um, even if you come from a rich family, you there are things you can do. So just take advantage of the position that you are in uh, at that point in time. So because I helped my father, so a lot of my lesson that I taught in school, because I, I also teach uh, in universities, I derive from food. <laughs> you know, my, my analogy, um, this is what I uh, teach my students as well as my follower. When, when they ask me, should you be a generalist or should you be a specialist? Mm-hmm. I told them, if you are a generalist, you cannot command a premium because you can be easily replaced. If you are a specialist, you can lose your job when your industry gets disrupted. You know, because of technology, because of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. it is very easy that um, your company will be subject to to Mm reorg. So I say you should be a combo specialist. If you look at McDonald's, they have got a combo meal. Mm -hmm. Burger, fries, and Coke. Burger is your core specialization. Fries is your secondary specialization. And then Coke is your interest. So for me, I did engineering as my bachelor degree and went to finance. So engineering was my core, was my burger. <laughs> finance was my fries and computer programming was my Coke because I enjoy uh, programming. Mm-hmm. And later on, I moved, I combined finance and engineering to do financial engineering at City, And that became my burger. Mm. And then China became my, um, my fries at one point mm. because I was very intrigued with the Chinese business culture and teaching. Mm-hmm. And I combined all of that to do investment banking, covering Chinese customers. That's so fascinating. And I want to ask you about China as well as time goes on. But how did you kind of develop those? You know, like in hindsight, now you're looking back and you're saying this is the combo special. But when you were looking at it, you know, and you're looking at DBS and you went back to your master's and afterwards then, like, did you feel a bit lost during those times as well? Like, as in, was it difficult to identify that, okay, this is what I want to do? Yeah. So now I can be so clear because, you know, it's on (laughs) high side, right? I'm looking back. Monday morning quarter. Yeah, I'm already like MD, (laughs) UBS, you know. Whereas you're me and you have no clue what to do. (laughs) Yeah, but then when I was in it, it's not so simple. Of course. It's not so clear. You will have doubt whether you are doing things correctly or not. Um. This, but I hope my framework will will help people think about uh, what they want to do, mm-hmm. and your combo changes over time, and you will promote your interest to your secondary specialization and eventually your core, and hopefully you can combine them. Um, for example, now I'm an author. What's that? Is my so writing is my burger. My fries is then a career and life lesson. Mm-hmm. Com- you know, the life lesson that I picked up from the hawker store, the life lesson uh, being an investment banker, mm-hmm. you know, traveling business class, staying in five-star hotel, which is very different. Eating at a hawker center and washing dishes. So I combine all of that and plus social media. Mm-hmm. Because with social media, it's also a form of teaching. It's a channel for me to teach. So I not necessarily must teach in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And when I combine that, I have a book, which is the recommended text for my course um, and it, because it's on uh, career. And I, I keep gathering all this uh, lesson. Mm-hmm. And even like through this podcast, as you ask me question, then you get me to think. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a lesson out there for me to deliver to my students. So combo keep changing. Absolutely. Absolutely. How was it when you moved, when you became like an investment banker? So you began in the hawker stand and now you're in five-star hotels. Did you ever feel a sense of imposter syndrome? Yeah. Um, n- not so much of imposter syndrome. I, I, I thought it's a kind of a waste of money. 
because <laughs> really? I could have shared that room with somebody, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Like now, because I I stayed in, in a hotel so many times. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was um, staying in one hotel chain for sixty nights in a year, the same hotel chain. So they, of course, they give me this VIP status. I I would checked in at eleven p.m. You know, from Hong, uh, I'll fly from Hong Kong to to Beijing, eleven, and they upgraded me. They said that we're going to give you two bedroom plus, you know, a little kitchen and a suite. You know, <laughs> but I'm only there for eight hours because next day seven a.m. I already checked out go and go for breakfast. Mm-hmm. I get you. So I said it's such a such a waste. You know, maybe you could have more people to to share and. Is is a bit surreal. I wouldn't call it imposter syndrome, but I feel that it's a bit uh s- surreal for me. Mm-hmm. However, the the thing that hits me the most when I join investment banking is I feel a little bit out of place because the people around me usually they come from super good school and a privileged family. Then. Of course, I I didn't go to the top school, you know, a local school here, and also Lancaster University, which you may or may not have heard of. So when I went there, and then I didn't tell people my hawker story. It's not something that I feel that is uh, worth telling. N- nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be proud of. You know, it's just part of me. But I was feeling slightly out because. My colleagues, they can get to anybody, any tycoon, any rich people, any CEO within two calls. If you are a good banker, you can reach anyone just by you know two introduction. I I don't have that type of network, and some of them, I think their family is probably rich enough to open a bank. <laughs> That's a ridiculous statement. <laughs> and you know, flying business class to me, oh, you know, is something fancy, yeah. right? To them, it's a downgrade because they normally fly first class on 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 holiday. So work business class is is a downgrade for them. And I thought this is uh, not good for me, and uh, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe this is what you call the imposter syndrome. Then I've got a friend Chuck, and when he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong, and he would introduce me to his network. When I first went there, he said, "Listen to Eric's story." Everyone he he intro every time he introduced me, he he says that. I say, "What story?" He said, "Tell tell people your hawker story." I said, "There's nothing to to tell." Mm-hmm. After two three times, then I begin. Maybe there is something about about it. So I start telling, and I decided that. I shouldn't try to be the most valuable player. Mm-hmm. I'll never be able to win. So I say that why don't I become the most improved player? Because most improved, then I have a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, you we measure our success not by where we are, but by how far we have come. I love that because what's interesting there about the most improved part is I can imagine a lot of your mentors or senior managers would potentially think that some people who came from privileged backgrounds are, are too privileged. Whereas for you, who's saying, look, you know, I'm not the best, the brightest, the richest, but I'm working really, really hard and I'm going to put everything into this. And that's what I love about those mentalities. I felt the same as well, working with Revolut. Guys are coming out of, because a big thing for fintech now is guys will come out of Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JPM, and they'll move into fintech. So I felt like that. I felt like I didn't have this pedigree from London School of Economics and whatnot. And then I just thought to myself that maybe it's the hard work, the drive that's more admirable or that's more respected with clients and whatnot um, than maybe just automatically getting it, you know? Plus, you know, we are dealing with entrepreneurs and a lot of entrepreneurs didn't go to top school. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, so they can um, identify with me as well, and then I can speak Chinese dialect. If they want to, you know, if, if they injured themselves, mm-hmm. I cannot introduce a, a specialist, the top orthopedic, but I can introduce to them my uh, most trusted Chinese doctor, you know, who can fix your <laughs> injury within within a few minutes. Yeah. yeah, you have that edge, and that's what it's all about, you know, just kind of having your own kind of like 
uh, kind of kind of edge in your industry in your career. Yeah, fi- find your niche. Yeah. You know, I may not know uh, as many Michelin star restaurant, <laughs> but I do know where to get the best hawker food. Exactly. So some of these uh, CEOs, they also want to try the local. So that's where I come in. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. What fascinated you about China? Because I'm quite similar to you. Like you know, I moved to Singapore, one of the best decisions I say I've ever made. And I'm always thinking like Hong Kong and China are still areas that I want to explore. Mm. But for you, you know, who was doing really well in the Singapore market, how come you wanted to make that move? What, what drove you there? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I'm ethnically Chinese and uh, I have been fascinated uh, with the Chinese culture. And in 1993, I really uh, went there um, for my first time to see uh, China, um, people still riding bicycles, wearing the blue and the grey uh, clothes. And Does that symbolize? Hmm? What's the blue and grey? Blue and grey. Oh, that's, that's, everybody wears that. Uh, in 1993. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you take out the old photos of uh, China, you see a lot of people wear wear, cool. wear those clothes. So that fascinated uh, me and I also like the, the language. I like the people. They are very knowledgeable. So in 2005, I asked a city to transfer me to city China. Yeah, to Shanghai. They agreed. So within a month, I relocated uh, myself to, to, to Shanghai and uh, set up the derivative structuring desk uh, over there. And from there, I learned to uh, deal with customers, Chinese customers, uh, service, state-owned enterprises, mm-hmm. and also learned a lot from my Chinese colleague. What was that like? What was setting up like that whole like department and everything there? Like with yeah, the culture that's there? It's um a bit of a I would say a culture uh learning uh, mm. f- for me. So one of my customers say, Hey, my leader, they don't they don't say my boss, they say my leader. My leader loves uh the white wine. So I said, okay. He said, can you drink white wine? Is it from Singapore? I said, yeah, yeah, I can drink a few glasses of white wine. So over dinner, so I ordered white wine and the white wine came. Then it's no, no, it's not this white wine. It's not the white wine that we thought about because in Chinese, it's literally white wine. And that's the pai jiu. That, that is the very, very strong uh, Chinese liqueur, a rice wine. And oh, rice wine. Yeah, yeah. so... Because in Chinese, it's literally, when I do a literal translation, it's white wine. Mm. Because we are speaking in Mandarin and I didn't know they were referring to the Chinese uh, white wine. And when we changed to the Chinese white wine, I got drunk like, after three tiny glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and you cannot cheat, right? <laughs> they pour into this small glass and then you have to finish it, right? Yeah. Oh, man. And that was... Uh, my introduction to the Chinese culture. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's obviously a big shift from Singapore and even from from other areas in Asia. You know, yeah, just a lot it, more. it it is. Um, my, I mean, during meetings, you know, I've got clients who sit across the table, just like like this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they would throw me a cigarette. No way. Just so we are having meeting, and then yeah. you know he should he he just throw throw. Then after the meeting. I pull the working lever. I say, hey, you know, your your leader just now throw me the cigarette. Isn't it a bit rude? You know, shouldn't you like give nicely? Yeah. And he said, no, no. My my leader treat you like a friend. If he still use two hands to serve you and ask you if you want to smoke, you're not going to do the business because he already liked you enough. That's why he throw you the cigarette. That means the business is coming. No and true way. enough, the following week, I close a big transaction. <laughs> that is insane. And that's, but there are also all nuances that you'd never know. And you'd never be able to yeah, pick up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, you can potentially lose a deal because of it. Yeah, whatever, yeah. You know? I mean, if you have reacted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, inappropriately. Did you smoke it? Yeah. I, sometimes <laughs> I do, but yeah. it is okay to keep the secret. If you are, if you, if you don't smoke, oh, yeah, okay, I, I'm fair. just a social smoker when I entertain clients. Sometimes I do join them, but on my own, uh, I, I don't. Fair, fair. 
That is crazy. Mm. But at least you got to experience it. You know, it's kind of, that's kind of noble of you to kind of say, all right, I'm finished in Singapore. Let's go to China and I see what that's like. Do you encourage younger people to, to travel with work? Yeah, definitely. Try to work in a place that is uh, quite different from where you are living. Mm-hmm. And then you can understand another culture. And also, you can understand yourself and your home country uh, better. So I did interview uh, one Japanese student for internship. And he was, uh, he was uh, studying in uh, Tokyo University, mm-hmm. but went to America for exchange. Mm-hmm. So I said, that, why do you want to go to America for exchange? To understand Japan better. I gave him the job. No way. Yeah. It's, it's because when you travel, you do just see a different perspective, you know? You see, uh, diff- yeah, different perspective because like, especially like in Singapore, Singapore is such a small place, right? Yeah. So if you are here, you think that this is everything. But then when you go out, uh, you realize that this place is uh, very small and uh, very few people pay attention to, to you. That is true. That is true. There's there's a lot of good opportunities, I think, for younger people in Singapore, though. There's good, like, you know, bigger companies, smaller companies. There seems to be a good opportunity for people to to get into different things, maybe. Yeah, I think there are a lot of opportunities in, in the finance sector, mm-hmm. in the tech sector. A lot of big companies are here. They're attracted by the uh, low tax. Yeah. Um, I would say easy to get talent. And also easy to to get foreign talent. I mean, they can always hire anyone uh, around the world. That's what I, that's one thing I love about Singapore is that it's kind of built like a company. Mm. Like even when I set up my company here, it was a it was a painful process, but it took two hours. So pretty good. Wow, <laughs> pretty good. You know, whereas you compare that to, I always compare Singapore and Dubai because they're kind of like tax band mm. like kind of levels, and like Dubai, it's ten thousand uh, USD mm-hmm. to set it up, and it can take you months and months. Mm. So Singapore do bring in that good culture, I think, mm. of expats and younger people. But I suppose if you do live here, you realize how small the place is, and you do want to go explore different areas. Yeah. And also Singapore is an aviation hub, so you can mm. travel out quite easily. Exactly. And you can go visit different places in, in, in Southeast Asia. I want to kind of chat about um, some of the things that were, some of the big changes, that the handbrake turns in your career, which are mm-hmm. quite interesting. So you were working in DBS and then you went back to do a master's and then you were working again and then you were applied for a PhD. How come yes. that was the case? Um, because I... I think I suffer from inferiority complex. Uh, since young, I was very ignorant. You know, I failed my English and I didn't do well in many subjects, history, even uh, mathematics at one point. So I think the way to compensate and overcome inferiority complex is to gain knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then PhD is like the, the highest form of education that you can, can have. So I applied to uh, Princeton. Mm-hmm. So in um, in year 2000, that was like 22 years ago, I applied and then they give, they sent me a letter. So I can see the Princeton uh, letterhead. So I open it. I was praying I will not see the word, unfortunately. When I opened the letter, it was there staring back at me, unfortunately. So I said, you know, dear Mr. Sim, we received your admission. Unfortunately, we cannot give you the admission at this point. We'll put you on waiting list. 22 years later today, I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah, you're I think it's going to be another 22 years. Yeah. Do you think your, how do you think your life would be if you did it? Then I think I will be a, a professor in the school. Really? Yeah, in, in some schools and do research. Yeah. And you wouldn't have gone down the path you have? I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have stayed in the path, gone on the path of finance? You think you would have stayed in research? It's difficult to tell because uh, how I will be influenced, right? Yeah. If I study uh, four to five years in, in the US in such a prestigious uh, university. Mm-hmm. So that is difficult to say like who I meet and um, what kind of influence by studying uh, down there will, will have on me. Mm. Mm. did you have a lack of confidence when you were younger 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, until recently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was it because of maybe like the people around you, even peers, or was it because you were trying to prove yourself to be better and better and better? So when I was uh, young, I think you know, uh, elementary school, my I was very seriously underweight. Then my Looking mother bigger now. Yeah, <laughs> my mother wants to encourage me to to eat more, and then you know she cooked some potatoes. She said, "Hey, eat this potato." Is it the kids in other country are carving animals out of potato? Mm. So next day I went to went on the school bus and I uh, told the boy next to me, hey, do you know that foreign kids are carving animals out of potato? She, he stand up, he 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 laughed at me and then he stand up and then he told the whole bus, the whole bus laughed at me. So I knew at that point all the knowledge that I have cannot be trusted. And then the person that I trust <laughs> most is my mother, right? Mm. And so even that, so who else can I trust? So I owe, I'm always not confident of uh, the information I have. So I always need to verify, learn. So at home, I have a folder this thick, about three, three inches, full of certificates. So inside that, I will have my CFA certificate. Mm-hmm. Of, I will have my driving um driving a, a sports car certificate i'll have my sailing i even have karaoke singing because i, I sang like a frog i i feel like i needed to mm-hmm. to sing better when i entertain my customers hmm. yeah so that kind of gives you the uh the kind of backing that you're on the right path or you're, you're following on the right journey i suppose um no it's of- just that you i feel better when i know more and you know more yeah so i will try to learn from graphic design to positive psychology mm-hmm. to um you know to to interior design yeah and that's the best way to be in because then you're not just you know eric who's in investment banking mm. you have so many different interests interior design mm. you're building your own house or doing whatever you know so it's kind of that complex of i think it's just the fact that mo- like life is multifactorial and there's so much stuff changing continuously. Yeah. You know? So you've uh, kept up with that times. A lot of people, they don't realize that by doing one job, you develop only a very small part of you. Yeah, for but sure. If, if you track many different jobs, you realize that you have much more talent, could be three times, four times, because you didn't develop, you, you didn't know. I didn't know my writing can attract uh, so many followers mm-hmm. because, you know, I fail my English. I fail my literature. And seven years ago, I started writing my first article, has got some good feedback. Then I wrote my second and third. And I compile my articles and make it into a book. That's the thing as well, is that the compound interest you get from keeping up on and developing something that's one thing I do find my generation lacking a lot is the consistency and the patience. We do want things really quickly from a career aspect and from a mainly from a side business perspective, like because myself and Elise have we have about two or three companies and they're all progressing nice and nice and nice and well. Mm-hmm. We always try to remind ourselves that it's a it's a long term play. You know, we gotta stick with it, commit to it. And I feel like, you know, when you're writing, for example, you could have given up at the time that it was just taking off. Mm. And that's the biggest fear. Of course, the converse to that is that you do something that maybe isn't the, gr- the, the greatest long-term. But I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for being consistent, for sticking with something mm-hmm. and trying to, trying to go see where it goes. Yeah. Consistency can really bring you to uh, two places and uh, achieve something big. And because this is kind of a game to stay in there for, for the long term and doing it day in, day out. So some people ask me, you know, what, what's your secret to uh, writing on LinkedIn and getting traction and followers? Um, I is consistency is uh, one of the three C's. I write every Tuesday and Thursday, post Singapore time, 8 a.m. I've been doing this for the last seven years. So whether I'm sick whether I'm on the fl- on my flight, even my father passed away, I was posting. 
I didn't post about his death. Nobody knew knew about it. I, I didn't want to get sympathy vote. I just post regular. Yeah. And posting also helped me get away from some of this stress. Of course. You know, uh, from some of this uh, sadness uh, from the passing of my my father. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you can post consistently, then um, you will be able to achieve achieve that. And just now I mentioned that's one of the three C. The other two C, it will be content. I think content is still key. Then for me, I try to stick to career and life skill content. Mm -hmm. And then the third C is community. So don't build followers, but build community and the followers will come. Yeah. I've seen that as well with yourself, you know, 2.7 million followers later Mm -hmm. that people like love being a part of the journey that you're doing as well. And you know, there are younger stages, even like myself, and they kind of see the similarities with it, which is huge. You know, it's huge. Yeah. So <clears throat> for people who comment regularly, mm-hmm. so I try to invite them uh, for my LinkedIn live events, for my uh, Clubhouse event when Clubhouse was uh, very hot. And sometimes uh, when I travel, I try to meet up with them. So when I go to London, this this time around in Spain and even in Istanbul, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I try to build that community with people who have uh, contributed to my work. Of course, of course. I think a great point on that as well is like, those are people that helped you get to the stage where you're at, sold copies of your book, promoted your book. So it's kind of, it's great to see that you're actually like giving back as well. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people yeah. will go the opposite way. They'll yeah. think, too big I'm not responding to people anymore and all this kind of stuff yeah um, of course my time is limited I, I do I do what I can mm-hmm. yeah and if they are patient enough I'll, I will definitely get to their city or <clears throat> I sometimes I will message them or if sometimes they need help after following me for several years if they need help you know I, I try to Help you them. do your best, of course. Mm. You're, you're a busy mm. guy. Yeah. You were developing that interest and it became like a side hustle really for you. Mm. But I suppose you didn't directly plan for that, you know. Was there a point whereby you wanted to actually have like a side business outside of your role in investment banking? Yeah. So uh, teaching was my passion. So 2003, so year 2000, I didn't get uh, my Princeton PhD application yeah. approved. 2003, I asked a uh, city HR to bring me along when they uh, were doing, when, when they are doing campus recruitment. Mm-hmm. So they did. I went, the professor liked my uh, presentation. I was a VP then at city, And he said, hey, come back and give us a, a lecture, a proper lecture on financial engineering. I did, liked it. He said, come back and teach EMBA. Then uh, I went back to teach. And then when I went to Shanghai, he still wants me to teach. I said that you have to pay for my flights and hotel. And he said, no problem, we'll pay. <laughs> yeah. No and then, so it became, that was like my, my first dollar. Yeah. Uh, my side gig first dollar. How did it feel? How did it feel compared? It, it's very precious because uh, now I'm making money outside of my main job. Absolutely. Number one, I need to get approval, right? Um, so to go through that approval process, number two, people are willing to, to pay me just my teaching and then that developed and, uh, I became a junk associate professor awesome. um, at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Then, you know, I was asked to teach, uh, three courses and now I teach, uh, various universities. So I, in fact, just, uh, three weeks ago, I was teaching, uh, Oxford masters in financial economics. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. I love that though, because I even saw like your eyes like light up when you're kind of, you know, you're turning it into like a, like a kind of a business and you're making kind of like a bit of side cash from it. And I'll never forget this. So I used to work with State Street in London. State Street was a great company, got some fantastic mentorship when I was there. But there was one guy called Neilan. And I remember we were sitting in an office together and I was building an e-commerce company at the time. So it was um, vintage clothing, like 90s, Adidas night clothing and I was building this on the side of my job and I remember he said to me I'll never forget this he was like the money you make for yourself will mean more than anything you'll ever make for this company and it's always stuck in my head I don't know why Mm. I don't know why it is and I still have my job and I still love my job but there's just something about creating it out of nothing creating value Mm. and giving something to someone that that they really like getting good feedback and then getting paid for it 
Yes. It's a weird thing. Yeah, when you realize that you you don't re- you don't need to rely on on a company, but also I was also partly relying on my company. I get paid because you know I was uh, working for a big financial institution. Yeah. So another test is when you finally leave that financial institution, would people continue to pay you? Yeah. And uh, the 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 key is let people pay you while you work for a big brand. So when you leave, you can still justify. A mistake that people make is, okay, I want to teach. I want to do this. Let me uh, retire first. Let me quit my job. Then I focus. By the time you leave your job, it is very difficult because you are competing with so many other people who now no longer works for a big financial institution and they didn't have the experience. But for me, I was already doing the teaching. I was already paid mm. when I was having that brand from my uh, big, completely you know, agree, big, big em- employers. Yeah. That, that, that's amazing, though, because I think a lot of people do jump too soon, and they they get a bit worried about it. Or it's kind of like the money they made outside, or the business they generate outside, was based on their role, and then because that's a, being attached to their ent- identity, it's more difficult to keep the train going. Yes, yes, yes. So. Um, number one, be aware sometimes you get paid because you have a big brand behind. And then uh, number two is the day the brand disappear, you need to use your personal relationship. So build that personal relationship before you leave. Definitely. Yeah. That's why I said to you about a podcast, but I know you're, you're, you're much further on. But the biggest thing that I love about this game is that these relationships, you know, mm. like I've met the people that I've met in Singapore so far are all people that I've met on the podcast circuit mm. uh, and not necessarily hosts, just guys that are connected in fintech and finance. And people often say to me, you know, like, you know, how long does it take me to make money from a podcast? And I'm like, you should be thinking more in network, friendship, connections, relationships. That's worth more to you. Than anything else yeah. and everything else just it honestly takes care of itself I will generally be be honest with you saying that is that you know if it's going to become a thing it'll become a thing over the long term no matter what yes and um, the, there are three capitals that you need to be successful financial capital human capital and social capital so financial capital is you know you need some money to buy the equipment you know to buy this mic to rent this place to go for a cause and then to travel to widen your perspective. You need human capital. So you have some knowledge. You have knowledge about um, fintech. You have knowledge about how to produce a show like this. Then the last thing that's very important is your social capital. Because social capital is the goodwill that you have with people. And people are going to uh, come onto your show because they can see how, what kind of person you are. And if you one day want to do a startup, your first 50 to 100 customers are people who you know and then you have helped in the past, you treat them with respect and they will just buy from you. Mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to get the customer on the street not knowing you to, to, to be your first 50 customers. Social capital comes, uh, come, will, will, will come and help you like for example, um, when I joined, so I, I told you how I joined this uh, DBS bank because of the bartender. Then I joined City because a colleague from DBS joined City, and then one day he called me. He said, "Hey, Eric, my boss is looking for somebody like you with your skill set. Would you like to join?" I said, "City, come on, one of the biggest international bank. Of course, I'm keen." I went three rounds of interview. I got the job. And 10 years later, a friend that I met in city, his name is Paul, and then he joined UBS. He said, then Paul called me one day, hey, Eric, my boss is looking for somebody like you. Would you want to join uh, UBS as MD? I say, UBS, bulge bracket, MD. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. I went for nine rounds of interview. Nine. I got the job. <laughs> what did you do for nine rounds? Yeah. Uh, because the MD, they, everybody needs to like you enough. Yeah. So... I didn't apply because of advertisement. I didn't get the job because of my banking skills alone. It was because somebody was kind enough to tell me there was an opening and they vouched for me, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. They put their neck 
on the line. And that's huge because that just shows how much of a good relationship you had with that person or how much, you know, you're well respected because he put himself on the line for that yeah. scenario. You know? And he knows that, you know, if I get there, I'm not going to make him look bad. Exactly. Because you're there for five years or, or, or whatever, yeah. you know. So sometimes the relationship we, you have with people is so important. I think people underestimate this. They think that, you know, to to achieve financial freedom, you're always looking at money, but it is this relationship that gives you the opportunity who introduce you to another person, introduce you to a job mm -hmm. or in there's a business gig. Mm -hmm. Hey, there's a, this teaching gig, training gig, which you want. This, are, this all adds up. I love that. And I, I get so excited even hearing about that because that's what it's all about. It's mm. people, it's relationships, and then it's the, the benefit that comes from it, you know? And also, you know, social capital will grow. It's like putting money in a bank. Yeah. You know, you buy somebody a coffee today, 10 years later, this person could be already CEO, right? Exactly. Imagine he just put in a good word for you. Mm -hmm. It's invaluable. It, it is invaluable. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You spoke about, about relationships. How has your relationship with money changed over the years? Money? Yeah. Like as you, you know, develop your career. I think at one point... I was like influenced by by the people around me, you know, when 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 we get our bonuses, people will be buying watches, upgrading the house, you know, down payment, Boing big Ferraris. holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Singapore is, is too expensive. Uh, for, 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 for Ferraris, but a lot of people will go and buy Porsche. Um at one point I was thinking, yeah, maybe that is the meaning of success. Yeah. But very quickly I um I got out of that. And I I didn't find the point of uh, buying expensive uh, watches mm -hmm. because I don't even look at somebody's uh, watch. So I assume that nobody will look at my watch to judge who I am. I mean, if you judge me based on my watch, then you are not a person uh, worth me spending time with. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Then I, I, I don't spend that. And now, so that was for a short period of time, you know, branded stuff. Mm -hmm. But now, no, um, I, I don't have mm -hmm. many branded uh, luxury goods item uh, that I own. And do you think that that's made you happier? I think so. Yeah. 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 I, I think I, I feel like um, I no longer need that. Yeah. To make me, to elevate me, you know, it's, um, I mean, your clothes, if you need clothes to elevate you, that means internally you, you still not very secure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then for me, I think it's knowledge, how you treat other people, your perspective. And do you have something that people can benefit? Like for example, your advice, yeah. you know, yeah, your knowledge. I think that, that to me is much more valuable and the impact you can create on people. Yeah. And I see that as well with even how Institute of Life is designed. It's like, it's pretty much like how it's designed. And one point I want to pull out from there is the money, meaning, health and happiness. Yes. You know, can you talk a little bit more about like how that was even built? Like how that concept was brought around? Yeah. You need certain amount of money. Yeah. Right. To, to live comfortably but not luxurily. That doesn't mean you need to buy a big car. Then, of course, we we want some form of happiness. But it's also not purely to chase happiness. Chasing happiness makes you unhappy. Definitely. Yeah. So, you'll be happy sometime, you'll, you'll be unhappy sometime. Unhappiness cannot be cancelled by happiness. If you're unhappy, you just be unhappy. Mm -hmm. So even you you have a billion dollars, if you fall down, broke your arm, you still be unhappy, mm. right? Somebody spill coffee on you, on your brand new suit, you will still be unhappy even though you are sitting in the first class. Mm. Yeah. Then I thought to really have a fulfilled life, then you need to have a uh, meaning. What's yeah. that for you? The teaching element of course but as you were developing your career what was your meaning and purpose 
I think now is uh, really seeing people who benefited from uh, my content on social media, my book. The content pretty much similar always yeah, of course. Uh, about career and, and life. If somebody writes to me to say, hey, because of your book, you know, I did this. Yeah. That was very um, fulfilling for me. And I, I do get that every week. Somebody will say, I come into this bookstore. I didn't know you. I saw this orange book. It was like, you know, uh, at the display. The bookstore treated me very well. They put it very prominently. So they, then they said, I bought it. I read like half the book and I feel uh, the impulse to, to let you know I, I bought your book. So that itself is uh, very fulfilling. And some people, there was a, a man, 59 years old. He said that because of your book, I have a changing career. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because maybe it could be just historically where people were reluctant to change careers. Mm. And I even find with, so I'm 26. Um, a lot of people that are in their 30s are with careers for quite long. And to me, I could be wrong in saying this, it seems that people hang on too long to things that they don't enjoy because they have the security. Mm. Maybe they've had children, maybe their circumstances have changed. But it's good to see like books like yours, you know, getting to the root of why you're doing things and then making adjustments as a result. That's to me is much more important. Like I don't, I don't necessarily like look down on someone for moving job and moving job because mm. they're, 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 mm. they're rapidly trying to improve their situation. Mm. Mm -mm. For me is everybody's circumstances is different. Of course. Some people, you know, doing the same job for 20 years is also fine because maybe job is not your priority. I mean, you, you have got a family to take care of, maybe somebody with special need and then you mm -hmm. cannot move around. You cannot take uh, late meetings, you know, then, so I always understand there is a reason behind and there are people who job hop every year, um, because they didn't find meaning in their job. And uh, that is also fine. So uh, everyone is, is, is different. Um, but for, for me is, I just hope that my content help people improve their situation, whether you're working 20 years in the same job or whether you have been uh, changing job every few years. Yeah. If my content, my book can help a person even change their mindset. So there was this, uh, French follower, uh, Eduardo, he was at a loss because he was working from home. And he was like running his kind of, although he works for a, a company, but he feels like he, he's um, running his own show, not, not meeting people. Then he read my article, which uh, says that be your own CEO. You know, like for me, I see myself not as uh, a bank's employee. Yeah. I see my bank, my employer, as my client. I am the CEO of Eric Sim Consulting Company. I get not salary, but a consulting fee. Mm -hmm. And I give my service. So this is the mentality uh, that I have. And I'll buy my own chair. You know, mm -hmm. I sometimes if need to, I'll fly uh, at my own expense to to meet customers if if the bank doesn't approve. Yeah. Mm. It's a mindset shift for sure. It's focusing on what you really want from a career and whatnot. It's it's cool you said about that interest that uh that uh, that example because that guy reached out because he felt you know he was not happy in that kind of current role. Um, has that been a big big important part to your career, like mentorship and finding the right mentor and continuously working with people? Yeah, I don't have like a, a mentor and I think there is no need to to go to somebody, can you be your yeah. can you be my mentor? I think there's no need. If you have a problem, then you find somebody who can give you the the advice. Mm -hmm. And it can be problem based, right? If this is you got some problem with social media, then you find somebody who's good in social media. If you if you got problem with your life planning, your relationship whether to get married, to have children, then you find somebody with, with that experience, maybe much older. So different problem, you go to different people, it can be coaching, it can be mentorship, could be advice. Um, I think there's no need to, to, to fix it, to say, oh, I have a mentor-mentee relationship with this person. Mm. Yeah. And for me, I also don't want to be mentor to people, but if they come and ask me a question that I can answer quickly, I, I try to help them. Yeah.
there is a bit of an overemphasis on getting a mentor and, and being mentored. I think I've had a lot of great influences in my career and even looking at posts like yourself have been very helpful to zoom out mm. just to just, you know, get my head out of the weeds, mm. get my head out of building software, building podcasts and recording stuff, just focus on some bigger picture stuff. And then I've delved deeper into some other, um, even guests I've had in my podcast discussions with them and they've been guiding principles and they've put me in the right direction. Mm. And what I love the best is like, being in the gym six months from now and thinking back to something that we were discussing. Mm. That to me is, is very like meaningful because we can, uh, we learn things through podcasts, through posts and whatnot. And that's what I get the most out of people that might listen to my show is that they'll say, I loved this part about what Eric said. Mm. This part is what stood to me. And you'll never even hear that. He'll just have benefited that in the future. You know, that's yeah. why I ask you to do your own podcast, man. That's, that's, uh, that, that, that's cool. I, <clears throat> Currently, you know, I'm occupied with um, a few a few projects, so I don't have the the time. But I I have been on uh, many podcasts, mm -hmm. so my followers must be uh, sick of me <laughs> uh, yeah. listening to me uh, on this various podcasts already. Yeah. What would you advise someone who's wanting to get online and build a personal brand? To build a personal brand, I think um, number one is to be try to find your own unique uniqueness okay yeah and because a, a brand has they have a niche right so number one your target audience do you want to target students mm -hmm. right like for me I can target students I can target a senior professional who wants to develop a portfolio career I can target uh, people who wants to be promoted to MD or people who want to get into banking finance so which one of this do you want to be? Mm -hmm. You're offering, I, uh, are you in a position to, to offer uh, something? So that, that can be uh, your brand. And sometimes it's also not so clear at the beginning. You just, 100%. Have, to, you just have to take <laughs> a, a small step yeah. and see what response you get. Yeah. So for example, if I write, if, most of my followers want to follow me because they want to do investment banking. Maybe that's where I should position myself and then start writing about M&A, IPO transaction, right? Mm -hmm. Or if I get people who say, hey, I uh, like the way you dress, then maybe I should go along that line. But I know that <laughs> if I go along that line, I just need to do two posts. So one post on white shirt, one post on blue blue suit, and that's the end. Another, another post on no shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so I think for personal branding is is really um, not so much of how you want other people to see you, mm. but it's how you want to see yourself. And That's it's going point. to be a journey. That's a good point. Yeah. The biggest thing I see there, or the biggest issue people have is the fear of what other people are going to say. Mm. The fear that their friend group from school are going to look at them differently and then they're reluctant to go and make those changes. It's like a small town mindset and it's very difficult to detach and break away from that. And I found that a lot of people will want to make changes, mm. but they're happier to sit and suffer in silence than to go and make those changes. And building a personal brand is the perfect example. Yeah, I think building personal brand, you will get positive um, comments, you might get negative. So, when, when I post and I tell story, then there was a, a friend of mine who's a CEO. Oh, you, are, you, you, you behave as if you are selling this uh, snake oil. <laughs> snake oil. Yeah. Chinese snake oil. <laughs> yeah. And because, you know, there's a story. So, yeah. But I say, there's nothing I want to sell, you know. Yeah. And even if you don't buy my book, it's okay. And even if you buy the book, <laughs> I don't get uh, a lot of money. The bulk of the money goes to the bookstore and the publisher. But after about six months, he already got used to me selling snake oil and so many people like whatever <laughs> snake oil that I'm selling. Now he now he wants to join me. He said, hey, yeah. can you bring me for your <gasps> teaching? You know, how do you write your, this article? Then he start following and start writing. Like my, so sometimes it's also to stick to what you believe in yeah. as long as your intention is pure. Of course. Right? Um, if you genuinely wants to uh, give mm -hmm. content that is useful 
then even people say, oh, you, you're trying too hard or you, you are not real, um, they, they may change their mind, but you just need to persist on. That comes from a place of insecurity as well, though, when people are talking down on what you're doing. And I heard something really interesting recently. It's like nobody criticizes someone who's working not as hard as them. So people will always criticize someone who's working more and you're like, oh, you know, what is he doing after? Why is Eric always posting? Yeah. You know, you could take an MD at UBS, an MD at Goldman, mm. and one guy will say, oh, well, you know, he's doing all this other stuff and, and he's talking down on it. But for you, you're just writing your articles, Tuesday and Thursday or whatever day they yeah. come out and you're getting on with it, you know? Mm. And I, you made a great point about uh, that other that other person that said that because this other guy, Max Passion, who's been on my show before, mm. he had a great post. And it was like, when you start posting on LinkedIn, the first month or two months, people are saying, what's Eric doing? It's ridiculous. Month three, four, and five, they're thinking, when is Eric going to give up? Mm. Month five and six, they're thinking, oh, Eric's getting a bit of traction. People mm. are liking what he's doing. Mm. Month seven, eight, nine, people are like, oh, you're doing some other stuff. You're getting invites places. And after 12 months, people are asking you, how many sales are you making? Or how can they do it themselves? Yeah. You know, and that happens in all different walks of life. Mm. You know, if you wanted to start training in the gym, if mm. you wanted to start running uh, triathlons or whatever. Mm. 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 Um, so I would say enjoy the, the journey. Um, like posting on social media, it will you will have up and down. Sometimes you have more engagement, sometimes you have less, you know, because you try different. I will try LinkedIn Live. I will try Clubhouse. Now I've got LinkedIn Audio. I will try um, articles, videos. Then some got more traction, some very little. Um, but you you keep trying and that is also the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. To learn uh, what works. And this is how I can also teach people that, hey, don't try this. I tried it. It doesn't work. Yeah. That is true. Like Clubhouse. Don't cl- jump on Clubhouse right now. Yeah. As the platform is like building. Yeah. I want to uh, finish up at this point. Um, where can people find your book, where can people find all your courses and everything? Yeah. Uh, my book is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's called Small Actions, Leading Your Career to, to Big Success. And my content is largely on my LinkedIn. Um, they can just go to LinkedIn, search for Eric Sim. Mm-hmm. If they cannot find that, they are Eric Sim Institute of Life. If you Google me, Eric Sim UBS, Eric Sim CFA, Eric Sim Institute of Life. <laughs> One of them will be will be me, and um, usually I wear the same thing all the time. So if you see somebody <laughs> Eric blue suit white shirt, likely to be me. <laughs> Eric, like I said thank you so much, man. Thank I you, really Darren. Let's do many more sessions in the future, but thank yes. you so much. Thank you. It, Thanks for having me. Of course, of course.